Think about a girl who is sales analytic and she lives and sleeps in the basement of her house. Every single day she hears bombs around her house. And this is a real person. This is our sales analytic, her name is Anastasia. And apart from the Russian missiles, the more danger enemy is inside. If she will stop fighting, then she will be defeated. So after first days of war, people were getting tired to be afraid. And then they said to themselves, okay, I'm not gonna do nothing anymore. I'm going to help Ukraine. I'm going to be strong. And this is our Ukrainian spirit. And this is what will help us to win the war and to build our country more beautiful than it was. Every week on Before It Happened, you hear me talk with visionaries whose ideas are changing the world and shaping our future. In most ways, my guest this week is no different. Daniel Tonkopi is the founder and CEO of Delfast, the electronic bike manufacturer whose bikes can travel an astounding 230 miles on a single charge. That's farther than any electric vehicle in the world. I would want to talk with Daniel under any circumstances, but Daniel's story holds a special importance right now. Daniel is Ukrainian. He founded Delfast in Kyiv, and while he spoke to me from his adopted home in Southern California, most of his team is still in Ukraine, enduring the unspeakable terrors of war and violence. And yet somehow life continues. Daniel and his team are in contact daily. They're as passionate about continuing their work developing environmentally friendly two-wheeled vehicles as they are about defending the freedom of their homeland. Some team members are working from wherever they can find an internet connection. Others are aiding in the Ukrainian resistance or actively fighting the Russian army. Most have been displaced from their homes and have moved to safer cities within Ukraine or have fled to other countries in Europe altogether. So while work continues for Delfast, things are far from business as usual. But let's go back to the beginning to how Daniel came to build a startup in Ukraine in the first place. Daniel was born in Moscow, but raised in Kazakhstan in the last years of the former Soviet Union. His father was an ecology professor at Kazakh State University and a prolific author of environmental studies. His work inspired Daniel's lifelong passion for environmental and ecological issues. Daniel's mother was an attorney, but despite his parents' education and lofty titles, their work carried few fringe benefits under the communist regime. Absolutely no privileges. I was born in 1979, so my childhood was in 80s and 90s. So it was when the USSR was destroyed. And I remember I asked mother if I can buy, you know, a PlayStation, like video game. And she said, ah, son, we don't have money. We didn't have money for food sometimes. It was tough times. So she said, boy, you can go and earn your money. You can do something. And I was 12. So I just went to a bookstore, bought phone catalog, like yellow pages, and uh, went to offices to sell it. 
that was my first business and I had great margin and it helped me to buy my PlayStation. So no, we didn't have money. We didn't have any access to additional resources, but I did have access to books, to my father's books, to other books about ecology, about all the ecological problems. And that was really important because that time we didn't have internet, right? So I grew up with knowledge and with understanding that we are responsible for the planet. Well, at age 12, I mean, you're looking at these big world problems, but you start a business so you can get a PlayStation. What did you do with that knowledge then at this point as a student? What were your favorite classes? Were you just fascinated with the environment and science? Or what was school like? And then how did that advance to your university? Well, my first university was International Economic Relations. And my second university, I wanted to become a lawyer. And uh, I was studying in Moscow State Institute of International Relations uh, as a lawyer. So I'm an economist and then a lawyer. But I didn't work any single day as an economist or a lawyer. What was college life like? I was usual student. I had a lot of uh, B and even C marks. So I wasn't perfect student. I remember we went to clean our city, Almaty, which is the largest city in Kazakhstan. Our professor told us that we have to go there and to clean uh, the area around our university. So it didn't came to me immediately, the, the understanding that uh, we need to do something. Almaty has an ecological problem. It's a large and beautiful city surrounded by mountains. But if you come to Almaty, you will see the black air over the city. It's because of the mountains, air is not moving out. And all the air pollution, all all the carbon and dioxides from cars are just stuck over the city. And now when I come to Almaty, I can see this air and I cannot literally breathe. There are a lot of problems with health, with lunges, with breathing of Almaty inhabitants. And when I was a student, I didn't realize that. I thought, well, probably all big cities have the same problem. But after I finished university and had an opportunity to travel, I saw different cities and I realized, oh, wait a minute, Almaty is in a big danger. Uh, There is an ecological catastrophe there. So we should do something. Your current role as the head of Delfast in wanting to impact the environment, how much influence did your father have? When I was young, when I was a kid, I didn't think that I can do something with global ecological problem. I was just a common kid. But at the same time, I was reading ecological workbooks written by my father, about the air pollution, about land pollution, about water pollution, about the pollution caused by factories and plants, about their clean energy and renewable energy. He wrote over 400 books on all the ecological issues. And uh, I didn't read all of them, of course, but I had a few books that were always on my table, on my table, on my sister's table or in the kitchen or like everywhere in the house, right? And then later when I became an entrepreneur, 
I realized that, okay, now I have power. Now I can change something. And then it became in my mind that I can do something with the air pollution. And not only in Almaty, but in all large cities in the world. Because everywhere, in Paris, in Los Angeles, in Beijing, in Bangkok, in every big city, there are millions of cars which pollute the air. And then I thought, okay, I can do something to become air in the cities cleaner. Daniel's journey as an environmentalist took a sharp turn after college when he joined the energy sector. He first worked as a manager of the fuel station division with Kazakhstan's state-owned oil and gas operation and found he had an aptitude for growing a business, turning the company's three gas stations into a chain of 500 in just seven years. But while he was happy with his success, Daniel had a bigger vision for himself. Capitalism was still relatively new in the former Soviet republics. And while he had no formal business training, he wanted to launch a company of his own. He ultimately founded two startups, a version of Yelp for Ukrainian businesses called Best.ua, and he later launched an augmented reality mobile game company called Xrift. He started both companies in his new home in Kiev, Ukraine, but it would be a trip to Silicon Valley in 2013 that got him to start thinking differently about what he should do for his next venture. So when did you move to Ukraine? When I finished my university in Kazakhstan, then I studied in university in Moscow. And in 2009, I moved to Ukraine. So what was the attraction for you? It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I mean it. When I was working in oil and gas corporation, I had an opportunity to travel a lot. I was traveling like 50 hours per month flying. I was flying 50 hours per month. So uh, I had an opportunity to see many cities in the world and I compared them. And I realized that Kiev and Ukraine are so beautiful. There are so many opportunities for all the people, for everyone who wants to create something. They can do it in Kiev or in other cities of Ukraine. For people who want just to live and be a farmer, okay, Ukraine has great land and a lot of farms. Ukraine is the largest country in Europe in terms of territory. And it has mountains, it has Black Sea. It is so different. It is so beautiful. And there are so beautiful people. So I felt in love with Ukraine. And in 2009, when I quit my job in oil corporation, there were no question to me where to go because Ukraine was the best place for me. What was your first impressions of Silicon Valley when you arrived? Compared to the Ukraine entrepreneurship, I mean, you arrive into this massive network and the Silicon Valley is the last dies, right? So it's not necessarily a, a physical being, but what was your first impression? I had two first impressions because uh, first I came to San Francisco and then I went to Los Angeles. So there were really different impressions. In the Bay Area, in Mountain View, I saw a self-driving car by Google. It was 2013. And of course, we all read articles in media that Google is developing self-driving cars. Of course, we are trying to track the news and be like in the loop to know what's going on in the world, right? We've read about it. But when I saw 
the self-driving car which has stopped at the traffic light and then uh, it turned uh, to the left and it allowed the pedestrian to passing by and then it continue it's moving it was like blowing my mind it was like so incredible like i saw it with my eyes a car could autonomously drive itself and i understood i realized clearly that silicon valley is the epicenter of all new technologies for the world like if you go to ukraine or to bangladesh or to australia anywhere you will see instagrams facebook's uh, iphones androids google and everything silicon valley is the place where it was born so i realized if i want to change the world i have to be here in california so from that did you go back to ukraine and then create your current company which is delfast how quickly was that transition in 2014 Delfast. It was a delivery service, a delivery company. We started to deliver goods within one hour, even before Amazon did. That was not a clone. That was my original idea. So I came it from uh, my previous experience and from practical thoughts that I should use electric transportation in order to make it more economical deliveries, more cheaper deliveries, and uh, with less uh, carbon footprint. There were no e-bikes in Ukraine, almost no e-bikes. And I didn't know how they gonna work. But I thought I was sure about it. And I realized I am gonna use e-bikes, not just to make one hour deliveries, but to deliver goods within one hour on electric bikes. And that was our, you know, elevator pitch. So you never made a bike before. So how did you assemble a team to come together, create an e-bike, the first e-bike potentially in Ukraine? I Googled and I found maybe 20 to 30 mentions of e-bikes in Ukraine, which is nothing. And me and my partner, we joined our forces and we went to buy this first electric bike. It was a Chinese e-bike and the seller promised us 50 miles on the single charge range. So we thought uh, our couriers will usually ride 120 miles within a day. But okay, we can start with 50 miles and then we'll find out what to do. Let's just start. So we went there and we bought this uh, e-bike and uh, I charged it and I decided, okay, 50 miles means nice ride. I like riding. I am a fan of motorcycles, bicycles, of two-wheelers feeling all this wind and you're feeling this nature around you. And I thought, okay, I will make 25 miles right one way and then go back. That would be a nice trip. I charged it. I went on a highway and I just traveled. But after 12 miles, the bike has just stopped. And I called to a seller. Uh, hey, it stopped. Maybe it's something broken. I don't know. Some, something is wrong. And he said, no, that's okay, that's fine. I said, no, it is not fine. You promised us 50 miles, not 12. And he said, yes, 50, if you help with pedals. I said, what, seriously? If I help with pedals, I will ride for a thousand miles. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I need a bike for not even 50, but 120 miles just on a throttle bar, not with pedals. 
So then we realized that all of the electric bicycles that are on the market has small range of less than, let's say, 20 miles on a single charge without using pedal assist. So that's why we had to adjust e-bikes. We couldn't find an e-bike for couriers. uh, e-bikes with big range, with good speed, with uh, high durability. So we had to develop these bikes for us. We were trying to solve our own problems. We are a delivery service, right? Our couriers should work on the e-bike and don't think about the battery. They need charge for the entire day, not just for 15 miles or something. So we had to add more batteries, experiment with motors, experiment with uh, different batteries like lithium ions, lithium polymers, and different chemistry. We experimented with frames, we experimented with all the electronics, battery management system, the controller, and everything. There there were thousands of experiments. And uh, step by step, within the next two years, we came to an electric bicycle, which can ride 236 miles on a single charge without using any pedals. But nobody believed us. Not everyone. Many people said, oh, you are cheating. You are pedaling. It's impossible. So we had to make an official record. And we called to Guinness Book Record representatives. And we established a Guinness World Record. So we are number one in the world. And when did you decide that you're actually going to sell these bikes? We were just a courier company. And we had a product for our couriers. And uh, just random people were asking us, Hey guys, how much is this bike? And we had to answer them. We are not selling bikes. We are a delivery service. And we even had so many requests that we were forced to make a piece of paper uh, on our door, literally saying, we are a delivery service. We don't sell electric bikes. I have a photo of that paper saying that we don't sell electric bikes. We were couriers. But at some point, we realized that we received so many requests. So probably we can try to sell bikes. Probably we can make some money. And we decided to go to Kickstarter. So in September 2017, we launched our Kickstarter campaign, trying to sell bikes globally. And when we were preparing this campaign, we were sitting in our office and we were thinking, what is our competitive advantage? Okay, we sell e-bikes, but there are so many e-bikes on the planet, right? Why people will buy the Delfast e-bike? We thought, like, we have reliable, good, and high-quality bike. And someone said, oh, come on, everyone's saying they have high-quality, of course. Then we thought, okay, what's our difference? What do we have what others don't? Okay, maybe a delivery service. Yes, that's true. We have we had a delivery service, but this is not a competitive advantage because for a like common customer, for a random John or Katie from California or from Texas, it's absolutely doesn't matter that we have a delivery service in Kiev, right? So we started to think what we can do, what's important to them, to John or Katie. And we thought maybe it's a speed and range. And what's our range and speed? We, we never calculated. We didn't know. We were just delivering parcels. And we thought, okay, let's make a test. Then we ran a highway and we went from Kiev to Lviv, which is a city on the west of Ukraine. And we made 240 miles 
on a single charge. And when I send a message to our office, hey, we hit 240 miles. And they replied me, this is more than Tesla 3. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that was our tagline at Kickstarter campaign that electric bike from Ukraine goes farther than Tesla. So how many orders did you take on the Kickstarter campaign? We've sold 44 bikes and collected $165,000. In September 2021, Daniel moved Delfast headquarters to Los Angeles. He brought just a small team with him, leaving most of the company staff in Ukraine. But the move wasn't the only major step Delfast took. Just before leaving Ukraine, Daniel also made the decision to sell off the delivery portion of the business. Once the relocation was complete, Delfast would focus solely on manufacturing e-bikes. For the last three years, we were selling bikes globally, sitting in Kiev, and we saw that 80% of our sales volume comes from the United States. So this is our main market. And again, as a small startup, we had to be focused. So we realized we want and we have to be closer to our clients, to our customers. And we understood that we have to be in the same time zone. We have to speak with them at the same language. We should be in the same environment with them. And then we realized we should go to, to the United States. Who were your first customers? Yes. Firstly, we came to professional riders, such as couriers, such as police departments. We supplied bikes to the Mexican police departments. We making test rides with more than 20 police departments in the U.S. So yes, police officers need huge range. And common people, yes, they don't usually ride 200 miles, but they want high performance. People want to have an opportunity to go farther, not just 20 miles, but if they want to go for 50 miles, then they will be sure that they will be available to do it with our bike. And also, we do have a lot of security and smart features. We've developed our own onboard PC, our battery management system, our algorithms of power consumption, our controller. We have a lot of patents about that. And when a customer buys our bike, he will see... He will monitor his bike 24-7. He will have all the security features, lock and unlock bike, track it. And you know what? Once one bike in, in Kiev was stolen from our courier, but we found it within just two hours. And we knew everything about a person who stole our bike, and we gave all the data to the police. They helped us a little bit, so we had an opportunity to take our bike back. So it works. All the GPS tracking and all the history, even like a temperature of the battery. So yeah, it's a, consider it as a smartphone on two wheels. Consider it as a iPhone of bicycles. So you're now in California, you have a team in Ukraine, and you know we're going to talk about something that's happening real right now. We're in a crisis. There's a war, Russia and Ukraine, and we're seeing this unfold in the last number of weeks, and it's obviously affecting your team, and the company, and I want to talk about that. So how is this crisis actually changing how you're operating business now and ensuring the integrity of your business, but also that your people are remaining in contact and are safe? Uh, yes. 
All people are alive and relatively safe. This is the most important issue for me and for all of us. As a business, because our production is in China, our warehouse in Whittier, California, and we sell bikes, we deliver bikes, we continue selling, we don't have any big issues. Of course, we have some issues, like we were producing our rear racks, trunks in Kharkiv, and Kharkiv city is almost demolished now by Russian bombs. It's destroyed. It's incredible. But we work with it. We send emails to people who ordered rear racks with a few options to them, saying, hey guys, we have some issues. Here is the reason. We can make you a full refund for this rear racks. Or you can wait until we sort it out and we will start again our production. We don't know when it will be. Or you can donate this money to Ukrainian people or to Ukrainian army. And people are asking differently. It depends on people. But the main issue, again, is, is our team members. They are safe now. Some of them are with a gun protecting Ukraine. Some of them are in basements or in bomb shelters. Some of them are in Kiev. Some of them has left uh, the country. You mentioned earlier more than 3 million people have left Ukraine. Ukraine, yes. I mean, that's mind-boggling. How many employees do you currently have in Ukraine? We have 40, well, we have 42 person in general and uh, seven people are here in California and we used to have 35 persons in Ukraine, but now maybe half of them has left. Someone is in Portugal, someone in Turkey. Our PR lady lives in Kharkiv and this is insane. A few days ago, we had our weekly call. And he joined Zoom out from basement under her house. I saw uh, stairs above her head and concrete walls. And they were like a cardboard instead of a bed. So people are living in basements and in bump shelters, sleeping on a cardboard. Like it's, it's incredible. Another lady, another girl, she lives in Kherson city. This is a city on the south of Ukraine, which is uh, captured by Russian troops. And Anastasia, her name is Anastasia, she went to the city square, the main square, with Ukrainian flags and shouting out loud to the Russian troops, go home, go home. So Russian troops captured the city, but they, they didn't capture the inhabitants. No one in Ukraine supports Russia. Nobody welcomes them. And I, I'm really proud of Anastasia because as well as all other people on the, on the square, she has no weapon. She has just flag and she's standing against Russian tanks and Russian soldiers. If you saw a video in the internet uh, of this stand, you will see that Russian soldiers are shooting to the air, but people are not afraid. And they stand and they continue shouting, Russia, go home. Russian army, go home. Where do you think their strength is being pulled from? We are protecting our houses. We are at home. This is absolutely obvious that the Russian army came to the sovereign territory, to Ukraine, and we stand for our families, for our homes. Many of us has no homes now. Like in Kharkiv, in, in other cities, uh, in Kiev, a lot of houses were destroyed. 
My girlfriend, she's from Kharkiv, she said her school was bombed. Her house was bombed with the Russian missile. A maternity house in Mariupol, a maternity house was destroyed by Russian bomb. And what about your team in Kiev? Are they safe? You know, Kiev uh, is the largest city in Ukraine, and Kiev is kind of like Los Angeles. There is the center of Kiev, and then there are suburbans, like smaller cities surrounding Kiev. And in the center of Kiev, Putin has dropped a bomb to their television center to the largest television TV antenna, and it is located near the Holocaust Memorial. So he has bombed Nazists' victims. It's like absolutely incredible. And our office is located like 500 feet from this memorial, so really close. And other cities around Kiev, such as Irpen, Bucha, Hostomel, were absolutely destroyed by Russian troops. They invaded this part of Kyiv and was under control of Russian troops. And people, well, I have my CTO and my sales director in the same house here in Los Angeles. And his family lived in this European city. And they couldn't even leave because of the Russian bullets and bombs. And only a week ago, they had a chance to leave their house. There was a safe window, I don't know, one or two hours they, when they could leave. And they went around the destroyed bridges, around the destroyed roads, and they could go to the safe place. And we all have families in different cities, and we all have a lot of stories. And by the way, we don't know what's going on there. And we saw pictures of the neighbor house. They were destroyed. I can't imagine this scenario as a leader. It's it's incredible that your team is still working, and that must mean so much to you. When this war has started, we didn't know what's going to be. We were in big fear, and we were saving our lives. That was our priority, of course. But then, when people went to bomb shelters, to basements, to safer places, after a few days... We thought, we cannot just sit and continue to be afraid. We want to do something. And our engineers, they wanted to move their energy to something. And they created a new model of electric bicycle. Literally, our designers and engineers said, okay, we are not going just to sit and do nothing. We are going to create something. And we have developed a new model. We called it Delfast California electric bicycle because it was created by engineers in Southern California and by designers in Ukraine, in Dnipro City, in Kiev. So there is kind of bridge between California and Ukraine. And we created this new model. And now we are making the first prototype. And we will unveil this new model within two months, which is incredibly short period because Usually, it needs one to two years to develop a new model. But all of our people are so energized. And we are going to go to the market within just two months. Not two years, but two months. So in the midst of the crisis, you're taking all that energy and redirecting it into delivering something really positive to the market. And this is a huge testament to your leadership and your entrepreneurship that your team is rallying together. How would you teach that? to another entrepreneur that in the midst of even a crisis, 
that you get your team to clamor and work together as one, united? I think it's not because I am so good, but because our team is so brilliant. Our engineers are great. Our people, we share all the same values, right? And what I can tell to us entrepreneurs is to find people with the same values and to ally with them. I, I was always trying to gather together people who is thinking is the same in the same way, like who is caring about the ecology, who is thinking about the renewable energy, who supports zero emission and, and uh, green energy. So this is the key to success, I believe, to work with people who shares the same values. How frequently are you in contact with them? We speak every day in Slack with them. We connect every week in Zoom, like all together. We want to see each other and to ask how they are, how they are doing, where they are now. I personally share everything what's going on in Los Angeles. I go to rallies and to meetings and I share pictures and videos to our team members from these rallies. And this is important to them to see that people from another part of the world are supporting them. For a man or a woman who lives in a city in Kharkiv, who lives in basement, it's really crucial to see that he or she is not alone. And when I send a picture of Los Angeles City Hall, which was colored with blue and yellow as a Ukrainian flag, that, that was really incredible. They realized that not just people, but officials are standing with them. That all the people in the world, from Berlin, from Prague, from Brazil, from everywhere. And we are telling them that they are not alone. We're doing our best to stop the war. And even I can't hold a rifle, but I can speak to senators here in the U.S. I can tell them our stories, stories of our people in Ukraine. And senators are really listening to me, to me and to all other people. Every person has his her story. Every person has family and they have also stories. Think about a girl who is sales analytic in a Kherson city or in other city in Mariupol. And he she's hearing Russian bombs and she lives and sleeps in the basement of her house 24-7. Starting from 24th of February, every single day, she hears bombs around her house. Of course, there are periods of silence, but then she hears an air alarm, siren, and she goes to basement again. And this is a real person. This is our sales analytics, Anastasia. And she cannot be afraid 24 hours a day. Apart from the Russian missiles, the more danger enemy is inside. If she will quit fighting, if she will stop fighting, then she will be defeated. So after first days of war, people were getting tired to be afraid. And then they said to themselves, okay, I'm not gonna do nothing anymore. I'm going to help Ukraine. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to stand in this war. And I'm going to be the winner. And this is our Ukrainian spirit. And this is what will help us to win the war and to build our country more beautiful than it was. If you go back to your childhood 
and you would go to the small village in Russia. Did you fathom that this would ever happen? Never, 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 never. Like, my grandfather was fighting with Hitler. We were like Soviet people, and we, all of us, we knew that on 22nd of June in 1941, Hitler has bombed Kiev. And we couldn't even imagine that it will be Russia who will bomb Kiev at 5 a.m. again. It was absolutely impossible. It was so unbelievable. How does Ukraine move forward? I mean, this conflict is in motion, and obviously we individually can't solve it, but how do we influence this? How do we educate people, and how does the country just move forward? I think I'm absolutely sure that after this war will be finished, and it will be finished sooner or later, we will create more innovations. We will create more new companies with the help of Western world, with the help of American and European countries. We already are part of the global community, but now we are becoming engaged with America and Europe. And the European Union said yes to joining Ukraine to the EU. So I believe in the best future of Ukraine. I, I am absolutely sure that the country will arise like a phoenix, which is burning, but then it will be born as a new one. I can see my people, our team members, and I spoke with our software engineer with quality assurance engineer and he said that he has unloaded several wagons of humanitarian aid and then he moved 300 bags with sand to make barricades to protect from russian invasion and i think the entire country is doing the same we're doing our best wherever we are located i'm here in los angeles and i'm doing my best I'm going to meetings, I write petitions to American senators to help us, to protect us, to protect Ukraine. This is the first question, what we need to solve, to protect our country from Russian invasion. And you definitely can see it, that Ukrainian people will never quit, will never stop. We will protect our country, we will protect our houses, and then we will build everything up again. That was Daniel Tonkopi, founder of the Ukrainian-American e-bike maker Delfas. Something is even more powerful than Daniel's commitment to a free and democratic Ukraine is his commitment to his employees. He says the Delfas workers that have left to fight for their country will be able to return to work whenever they are able. And in the meantime, he will continue to pay their salaries. Daniel says that right now it's more important for his employees to work for their country than to work for his company. He also told me that Delfast is donating 5% of all their revenue to help Ukrainian people and to assist with humanitarian aid. The company is also making it easy for other people to donate. Right now on their website, delfastbikes.com, there's a button on the homepage that takes you directly to Stop War Ukraine. 
a resource that directs people to all sorts of organizations and efforts to help Ukrainians, civilians, soldiers, and refugees. Another noteworthy Ukrainian featured previously on Before It Happened is Vitaly Galone. Vitaly is an accelerator and mobility expert who mentors people, including Daniel, helping them to bridge the gap in innovation between Silicon Valley and Ukraine. And stay tuned for our next episode with Paul D'Arlene's, who's also passionate about two-wheel transportation and is the leading authority on motorcycle history and the EV evolution on two wheels. Additional music for this episode was generously provided by Violinists Support Ukraine and the Polyphony Project. Please check out our show notes for links to where you can learn more about these projects. Thank you for listening. Follow Before It Happened on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Before It Happened is produced by me, Donna Laughlin, along with Studio Pod Media. The executive producer is Katie Sunku Wood. And all episodes are written and developed by Jack Buer, with additional editing and music provided by Noda Lab. <laughs>